Turn your Bibles this morning, Matthew 24. Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 24, is about the end of the world. We heard a little bit about that last week. How many know we were supposed to have been raptured last Saturday night or Saturday week ago? <laughs> now, seriously, how many heard that? Let me see your hand. Yeah. Hey, this is pretty incredible for to think about the fact that the whole world was expecting a date because one guy, an 89-year-old guy, his name was Harold Camping, Christian man, he was a formal civil engineer, that he believed that he could figure out mathematically and through what's called numerology, the day of Christ's return. Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, but he literally believed it. He spent millions of dollars, think about this, 5,000 billboards across the country telling people with this message, go ahead, yeah, there you go, with that message that people were seeing, Judgment Day, May 21st, the Bible guarantees it. Well, the Bible didn't guarantee May 21st, but how many know the Bible does guarantee it? So here's what we found out about Brother Harold. He was wrong, but he was right. Now, he was wrong to try to predict the exact day of Christ's return. We'll see that this morning. But he was right to tell the world of the Bible tells us about prophetic events that are going to happen one day. The second coming of Christ, the rapture of the church. We'll talk about these things this morning. Uh, uh, the judgment day, when literally all the earth will stand before God and give an account for their lives. So we're going to talk this morning about end-time events. We're going to talk about what the Bible says about the last days. Jesus, in Matthew 24, there's really three chapters in the Gospels. Matthew 24, um, Luke 21, and Mark 13, where the whole chapter is about this very subject, the last days. Uh, what it's going to be like. What are some signs that we can look for? So we're going to look at about three different parts of Matthew 24 this morning, if you just want to hang there. But Matthew 24 and verse 3, Jesus is talking to his disciples. They showed up, you know, and he's talking about the temple, and they're all kind of looking at the enormity of it. And Jesus said, every one of these stones are coming down. One day, this is going to be just, you know, kind of bankrupt. It's going to be corrupted. It's going to be destroyed, which literally happened in A.D. 70. A Roman emperor came in, the Roman legion came in and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And part of Matthew 24 was fulfilled in that day, A.D. 70, but much of it remains to be fulfilled in the last days. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, verse 3. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Now that's a big deal. What sign asking Jesus Christ, creator, savior, redeemer, and ultimate judge of the world, when is the world going to end? And first thing Jesus said, verse 4, don't let anyone mislead or deceive you. First thing he said was be careful because people will try to manipulate you, false Christs will be there, false prophets, uh, false signs and wonders. Be careful that you stay on the narrow path and you're focused on truth and righteousness. And then he goes on in verse 36... Jesus said these words, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Nobody knows. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. Not the angels, not the Son himself, but only the Father knows. So there you go. And I guarantee you today, in some part of Harold Camping's life, he wishes he'd have listened to that scripture. People that believed in him were deceived by it. Uh, now many are devastated. Can you imagine really telling all your family, all your friends, spending your money, investing to try to, from a genuine, sincere heart, warn people about the end of the world? Well, that's what was going on, and lo and behold, he was wrong, and now many are devastated. You know, his response, I don't know if you've heard this, but he said, oops, it's going to happen on October 21st. I was only five months off. He's still going for it again. You know, what I found to be incredible 
My son, the way I found out about this is several months ago, my son asked me if I thought the world was going to end. And I thought, what are you talking about? And I said, no, Jesus said nobody knows the day or the hour. I didn't even think about it. But I was out of town last Sunday, and I was visiting a church, and when the pastor referenced it, everybody laughed. And it's just like this morning, you all knew about it, you heard about it. And it's like the world was caught up in this. I read an article, uh, USA Today, and it was embedded on, the, on their website, and it was uh, a video produced in Taiwan mocking the coming of Christ, the book of Revelation, judgment, little Taiwanese subscript with English, you know, translations on the bottom, but mocking what you and I hold dear. Facebook was aflame with it. It's everywhere. We even found a video, a YouTube video, that was filmed last Saturday, Saturday week ago, after 6 o'clock. And I want you to listen to what the people had to say when they were talking about what is arguably the greatest events that the world has ever seen that's before us. I want you to see their responses. This is New York City Times Square, Saturday week ago. And then we'll be in 2 Peter chapter 3. Do you know who this guy is? I don't know. <laughs> is that the, fr That's the Fred, Fred Phelps? Yeah. Fred Phelps. No. Is that? It's not. It's not. <laughs> that guy, that, that rapture guy. Yeah. Oh. oh. Predicted that the world was going to end today at 6 p.m. No way. No? <laughs> I'm still alive. See that? He said, it's and we're alive. The awkward moment yeah. when the rapture is four hours late. All right. If the world ended today, do you guys have any regrets? No. Uh, to be a virgin? Yes, that's me too. I just don't, man. It's carefree living. No. No regrets. Uh, I studied too much. Like, it's going to sound really lame, but like, I would love everyone as much as I could. I know it sounds lame and stuff. But that's I mean, cute. That's pretty cute. Yes. Well, not what is I'm not meeting Lady Gaga. Oh, okay. How about you? Not meeting Lady Gaga. Oh, so are you all monsters? Yes. yes. I can't talk to you guys then. Forget it. Right, if the world was going to end in two hours, What's something that you would do? Like anything that you could do? Oh, I'd definitely kiss everybody. How about you? Uh, well, I would do the, my best to get a sexual relation, and then I will kill myself. <laughs> Are you talking about rape? Yeah. Find Lady Gaga. Find Lady Gaga. Find Gaga. I'm gonna die. Prepare. Couldn't like beat someone up for fun? Oh. Date me in a beautiful girl. <laughs> if the world ended and we're the last survivors, would you repopulate the world? All three of us? Yeah. 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 We have to, right? Yeah. You're wrong. <laughs> I prove that you're wrong, Data. You are a lunatic. <laughs> like, he should have gave up in 1994 when he was incorrect. Better chance next time. <laughs> well. That's what folks think about arguably the greatest events that are on the God's prophetic horizon, the future, they're laughing about it. If you had two hours to live, if you caught this, what would you do if you had two hours to live? Well, the guy with the kissing fetish, he thought everybody wants to kiss him. You know, sex, uh, getting high, drinking, blah, 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 killing yourself. That's the mentality of people in the world that don't share the intimate knowledge of Christ. Why don't you think about this, because this is not intended to be judgmental, but hopefully eye-opening, particularly for you that live in a Christian cocoon. Not everybody thinks and believes the way that you do. But I want you to listen to what the Bible has to say about this, because we're talking about the last days, and the question I'm going to ask you this morning is the title of the message, Are You Ready? Are you ready for what is a certainty in the, in the days to come? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Peter writes these words, it is most important for you to understand what will happen in the last days. So the Bible clearly tells us that it gives us a sense of what's going to be going on and what the world is going to be like. And notice what's the first thing that Peter says. People will do what? 
They will laugh at you. Yeah, they'll mock it, and it is amazing. Late night TV, if you've watched any late night TV this week, it's just, it's funny, it's the rapture, it's judgment, it's ha-ha, where is God? They're almost quoting the Bible. They will live doing the evil things they want to do. It's almost verbatim of what we saw in that video. They'll do the evil things they want to do. They'll say, Jesus promised to come again. Where is he? And that's a pretty good question. Look at verse 7. God is keeping heaven and earth that we now have in order to be destroyed by fire. Heaven and earth are being kept for the judgment day. Can you say judgment day? Not very popular in our world today where God is just this loving Santa Claus, but the Bible teaches of a day of accountability. The Bible tells us in Revelation 20 about the great white throne judgment. Everyone will stand before God. Books will be opened. Is your name written in the book of life? If it's not, there's an eternity of judgment that awaits you. Listen, it's there in the book. Judgment day and the destruction of all who are against God. Now, this is the reason why I'm not an ultra-environmentalist. I mean, I pick up paper, I keep things clean, I don't want to see pollution, but I know the Bible teaches that one day this heaven and this earth will be destroyed and God will recreate it. In Revelation 21, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So you're not just going to be sitting on clouds throughout eternity, but somehow we're going to be connected in heaven. There's going to be things happening on earth. But the Bible speaks about this. Now, look at verse 9. It talks about the heart of God. Because here's what people, they, they want God to be one way or the other. They either want God to be this loving God that doesn't care about anything they do and blah, 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 and God would never do anything bad, or they want this austere God that's ready to smush them with a fly swatter. Well, God, listen, has two aspects to his character. He's loving, but he's also just. He has prepared something that is beyond your imagination for those that love him, but it is a certainty of judgment for those that reject him. But look at the heart of God, verse 9. God is not slow in doing what he promised. And then they liken a day to a thousand years, and God, it really doesn't matter. But notice what it says. God is being patient with you. He does not want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and lives. So it is the heart of God that every person would spend eternity with him, but they must choose to embrace Christ or reject him. It's what the Bible speaks of the last days. Now, Harold Camping is a joke today. But guess what? What he talked about is not a joke. The rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ. We're going to talk about these things this morning. The judgment of the world, judgment day, and the certainty of it. How many know there are no laughing matter? So as I ask you the question this morning, are you ready? I want to, uh, to be sure that you are ready. I want to do everything I can to make sure that when Christ comes, when you hear the trumpet sound, you're going to be ready to go. It's a part of a series we've been doing called Choices. If you've missed it, you can pick it up on the webpage. We've got an iPhone app. You can listen to it. But uh, choices, and here's the deal. If you make the right choices, how many know you'll be ready for the second coming? Amen. If you make the right choices in life on judgment day, you'll have nothing to fear because Jesus will be by your side. He is your, he is your attorney. He's paid the price for your sin. Heaven awaits you. But if you make the wrong choices... If you reject Christ, if you have an attitude of laughter and belittling and, and like the people we saw in the video, or even if you say, well, I know what's right, but I'm going to put it off until a later day, you, my friend, will face eternity based on the choices you make. So let's explore this together this morning. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Acts chapter 1, let's go there. Let's look first at what I'm going to call upcoming prophetic events, the second coming of Christ in what's known as the rapture of the church. Acts chapter 1 now, verse 9, it's 40 days after Christ has been resurrected. 
You know, of course, that glorious morning when they went to bed, on, when Christ was crucified, everybody was scared. They were hiding out. Lo and behold, on that Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the grave and everything turned around. Fearful people were made bold. People that were hopeless had hope once again. Now it's been 40 days. Jesus has been appearing to his followers. He's been teaching them. Acts 1 verse 8, he told them to seek the power of the Holy Spirit so they could be witnesses in the world. It was the Great Commission. It's the very thing that is, should be number one in our lives, reaching as many people as we can for Christ before it's eternally too late. We are populating heaven is our job. We're going to make it hard to go to hell from Texarkana, USA. Amen. That's the job of the church. Well, after he said that, how many know the last thing you say to somebody is pretty important? Well, there it is, is what he said. Well, in verse 9, after he said this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching until they could no longer see him. That's incredible. You think that. This was not a storm cloud, likely. But imagine one of those glorious white clouds that you see. You know, the sun is bright and shining, and, this, and Christ literally leaves the earth. Now, he didn't have a, a Superman backpack. He didn't have kryptonite. He didn't have any of that. What he had, listen, was the power of God, and he was living in another dimension. And Christ literally ascended. He left this earth, and he went up to heaven. But notice now, verse 10, they are straining to see him in heaven. Can you imagine? straining to see Christ, and then two white-robed men, two angels suddenly stood among them, and these angels said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? It's almost like he's saying, Okay, now you need to get about the work that I've called you to do. Reach people. Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but now listen to this. Someday he will what? Say it again. He will return. Someday Christ will return in the same way you saw him go. So these angels said that literally one day Jesus is going to come back in the clouds. But I want to tell you this. He's not coming back as a baby in a manger this time. You know, he's not coming back to die on the cross. He's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. He's coming back, the Bible says, on a great white horse. The Bible says there's going to be a trumpet sound. There's going to be uh, the voice of an archangel and the dead in Christ will rise. That's going to happen one day. And can I tell you, that is more important than anything else, being ready for that day. That's more important than your graduate degree. It's more important than the big deal. It's more important than vacation. It's more important than anything else. Now, listen, you get your degree, you go on vacation. But I'm telling you, first things first. And that's what we have to do. Be watchful and ready for his return. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's look at another one briefly. The context here, it's been many years since Christ has died. Some 20, 25 years. And believers are dying. And there's this question in the believer's mind. What's going on? Was this true? Did this really happen? What does the future hold? And here's what Paul said. He said, now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died so you won't grieve like people who have no hope. Now, I want you to think about this. This is especially real today. The Lanier family's here. Our friend, my friend, Bill Lanier, member of our church, Friday night, they're having a life group in his home. It's a Spanish life group. They're reaching out. Well, Bill went to the bedroom, go to bed, was tired, and they went to check on him hour and a half later, and he was already gone to heaven. Now, what do you think about it? I'll never forget this. My a dear friend, I went in that room. His wife is there. His 11-year-old daughter is there. 14, 15, how old is Heather? 15-year-old daughter. Here's the picture. Now, when people die, that's when your Christian faith comes to life. Because if you don't have hope in Christ, it's over. Now, we sat there. 
you know, I've done a lot of funerals, and I've, I've seen a lot of people who have died, and I, I just, for whatever reason, I guess I've, my heart gets a little hard or used to it or something, I don't cry very much, but this brought tears to my eyes. But as we're sitting there looking at his body, we realize he's not here anymore. This is the house he used to live in. This is his tent. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. See, when you take your last breath on this earth, I want to tell you, you are, you are standing in the presence of God and you don't have the pain and suffering anymore. Come on. That is the blessed hope. That's why we don't have to grieve like others because life is not a period when you die. It's a comma. See, we don't say goodbye. We say, I'll see you later. Now, the visitation is going to be today at 2 at Chapelwood, the funeral tomorrow at the church at 10 o'clock right here. But uh, we're going to have a memorial for him. But guess what? He is not here, and I want to tell you, we have hope because of Christ. Now, listen to what the Bible goes on to say. Verse 15, we tell you this directly from the Lord, that we who are still living, when, not if, when the Lord returns, will not meet Christ ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Remember what the angel said? He'll come down from heaven with a commanding shout, the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And first Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Now this is the bodily resurrection. When you put that body in the ground, it is a tent, it is a house, it decomposes, but one day it's coming back to life, baby. I want to tell you, one day, and it's not going to be broken, it's not going to be cancer-ridden, it's not going to have heart attacks and diseases, it's not going to be ugly and blah, 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 blah. It's going to be a strong, healthy, spiritual body that you can touch and relate to, just like Jesus when he told Thomas, go ahead and put your finger, put your finger in the holes in my hands. He had a real body. It was a resurrection body. But listen to this. Verse 17, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now this is the Christian rapture. You and I, listen, if we are here, if Christ comes in our lifetime, which is possible, you don't want to predict the day, but it is possible if Christ comes when you are on this earth, you're going to hear that sound, and you're not going to have to flap your wings. For, listen, I don't know how it's going to happen, but somehow you're leaving this place. Come on. You are leaving this place. And you're not going to be here if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ. Earth is not your home. It's more than this. Well, that's what Harold Camping was trying to say. He messed up by putting a date on it, but he was saying the right thing. He just came across in the wrong way. Now, when we talk about this, this resurrection, Jesus told us that we wouldn't know when it's going to happen. But he did give us some signs that I'm going to talk about in a moment. But let me tell you this. These last days, end time events, they're a little bit confusing. People way smarter than me have not figured this out. So I just said, you know what? I just simply believe he's coming. I'm not going to worry about when. I just want to be ready. And if you have a Spirit-filled Life Bible, now that's what I recommend as a study Bible. It's New King James Version. It's, it's, it's very scholarly work. It's, uh, it's done by Jack Hayford and company. But if you look before the book of Revelation, they will show you the sequence of end-time events. They give you not one, not two, not three, but eight different possibilities that theologians and people that are experts in prophecy have suggested about how end-time events will unfold. For example, if you've ever heard the term premillennial, pre-tribulation, well, that was one of them. They believe that the rapture is happening before the millennium or the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth and also before the seven-year great tribulation. But another view says he's coming back in the middle of the tribulation for the church. Another one says at the end of the tribulation for a church. Here's what I believe. I'm an omni-tribulation, blah, blah, blah. I just believe he's coming back. 
And I don't know when he's coming back, but I want to be ready when he does, and I want to be about doing the master's business. Now, let, let me help you with this. I want you to look again in Matthew 24. We're going to talk a bit about what... We're going to summarize the chapter. But I want to ask this question, what are the signs of his coming? Now, let me go back one last time and reference Harold Camping. Now, he was a civil engineer, which means he was kind of a math guy. How many people like math when you're in school? Just love math. Let me see your hands. Yeah, like every service. How many hated math? Let me see your hands. Yeah, the math teachers of the world have failed, I guess. But he was a civil engineer. And, and, and listen to his reasoning now. I did a little research on this. And he, he, he believed what was called numerology. I believe he's taken the scripture a bit far. But somehow he came to believe that the number five equals atonement. So think about this. Five equals atonement, which Christ did on the cross. The number ten equals completeness. That's the fullness of time. And then he said the number seventeen equals heaven. So atonement times completion times heaven. And then he squared it all. And he said that's 722,000 days. So if we go back from the time Christ was resurrected or crucified, 722,000 days ahead, we're at May 21st, come on, 2011, and that's why Jesus was supposed to come back. Now, that may seem a little weird to you, but let me tell you this. When Jesus talked about the last days, he did not say you needed a calculator. So he was wrong, but he was right. Now, listen to what Jesus had to say. I want to kind of give you a global, a big picture of Matthew 24, that great end-time chapter, plus the book of Revelation. Now, now, listen to this. Here's what Jesus said when he was asked, tell us when will all this happen and what sign will signal your return and the end of the world. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 24. The first thing, he said, don't be deceived, and then he mentioned false Christs. In other words, false saviors, men who would promise you that they could save you, protect you, care for you, provide for you. It's almost like our government in America has become our savior. Our government almost wants to give us everything, and God's not in the equation. But there will be men that will say they're false Christ. Uh, wars, global unrest. Would you agree with me today that there is global unrest in the world today? For a multitude of reasons. One of the most vivid that we see now, what's going on in the Middle East? Of course, you've seen that what was hopefully a democracy movement, which seems to me to be the Islamists getting more power and control in the Middle East, but now the G nations in the G8 summit said, we're going to give them $40 billion in the Middle East to try to, you know, I don't know what they're trying to do, but it's all about the nation of Israel, and they want them to give back their borders to 1967. Our president called for it the other day, and as soon as he did, there was an uproar in much of the world that basically said, protect Israel and leave them alone. Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, came to before our Congress in America and 25 times Democrats and Republicans stood and clapped their hands for the protection of Israel. And I want to tell you today, as a pastor and a believer, I believe in the nation of Israel. There is an affinity that the church should have for our spiritual heritage there in the Middle East. There is a promise. Forget the fact that they're our greatest ally. Forget the fact that they are the greatest representation of democracy, the only place in the Middle East where there can be freedom of religion. You try to practice any religion other than Islam in the militant states, they will kill you, my friend. Listen, ladies, if you want to drive a car, you'll be arrested in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia just had their 22nd beheading of a guy in this past year. I mean, it's a different place over there. 
But the nation of Israel has held the apple of God's eye. If you go back to a promise in Genesis 12, Abraham basically gave this word about the generations that would follow him, that the one who blesses Israel will be blessed, and the one who curses Israel will be cursed. And I read a bit about a book. There's something perhaps here. And this book was referencing the nations that have attacked Israel over time. And it said even under George Bush, if you remember, when he was trying to bring peace and get Israel to give up their land, Hurricane Katrina smashes into our borders. And the other day when President Obama talks about giving them back the borders and Hamas and all that, well, guess what? All these violent tornadoes. Now, I don't know if that was a cause and effect relationship, but I can tell you this, friend. I think we need to stand for Israel. And if you read in the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation speaks of this. It once again will be a focal point. Well, unrest in the world was something Jesus said. Jesus also talked about that there would be lawless behavior. There would be earthquakes, persecutions. Believers would fall away from Christ. Um, the Jewish temple would be desecrated. Uh, the book of Revelation adds things like the Antichrist. You'll see him spoken of in the book of Daniel and some of Paul's writings, but literally a one-world ruler. And you, my friends, and I, it is quite possible to have a one-world government today. Do you know that there are, are, are world leaders that are calling for a one-world government today? They believe we can solve the problems of the world if we were just all together under one ruler. And it'll probably kick off when the whole world collapses because of the financial mess the world is in because of debt. It can happen, my friend, and the Bible speaks of a one-world government. It speaks of an antichrist. It speaks of the mark of the beast. It speaks of the great tribulation. Now, Jesus said all these were signs. You cannot predict with certainty when it comes, but it will happen. Now, let me give you a predictor because here's the deal. I can't do anything about the antichrist. I, I have bought books, perhaps you've bought them as well, trying to suggest who the antichrist is. If you were a Christian during the time of the Cold War, Ronald Reagan, uh, remember uh, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev? He had this big red spot on his head, some kind of birthmark, and they said he was going to be the Antichrist and the horn and blah, 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 blah. And people were making money off their books. It never happened. Let me say this to you. There are some big picture things that I can't do anything about. I cannot stop a famine. I cannot stop an earthquake. I cannot preclude the Antichrist from coming. I cannot stop the Great Tribulation. Why should I give an inordinate amount of attention to it? But let me tell you one thing I can control. Jesus gave us something that you and I as Christians, modern-day Christians, can participate in. Now look in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. This is an end-time predictor that you can have something to do with. Same chapter, Matthew 24, this end-time chapter, Jesus said, This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then what's it say? Say it again. Then the end will come. So your barometer for the second coming of Christ should not be the Antichrist. It should be the evangelization of the world. It should not be global unrest. It should be reaching people around this whole planet for Christ. It is the number one job that we can do. It's the last thing Jesus said before the angels talked about the ascension. The Spirit will come and you'll be empowered to be my witnesses. And I want to tell you, this is why your church is so committed to reaching people. It's why your church is so committed to world missions. Is because we can partner with God to see the second coming of Christ. You see, why are you doing that car show? Well, uh, Pastor Mike likes cars for one thing, but we just use it as an excuse 
to get people together to hang out. See, as I'm in here talking to you about the Bible, he's talking to car show owners, and he'll be giving them an invitation to come to Christ. See, just this last Friday, you'd have been so proud of, of the youth of, of your church. They've been doing what's called TNT in area high schools. Uh, Tuesday night thing, Thursday night thing, till next time, you know, whatever they call it. But what it is basically is a, Bible, a club in a school find, uh, has, a, uh, through legitimate means, they, they do a gathering of students uh, in the high schools. They'll have 200. I went to Redwater. There's a couple hundred kids that were out there. Texas High, 250 kids showed up. They have a little bit of worship. And then high schoolers, just like them, talk about how... Jesus Christ can change your life. And in the park the other night on Friday night, there was about 300 people that were there. And they gave an altar call about people who wanted to get close to God. People who wanted to love God and walk with Him and have their sins forgiven. And people flooded to the altars. Can I tell you, that's what church is supposed to be about. We're, we, we're an army. Linnell's taken a group of 19 people to India in July. Well, why would you do that? It's dangerous. It's costly. Because it gets you connected to the world. And for the first time in my lifetime and the history of the world, there are strategic plans to reach every unreached people group on this planet. And I don't mean flying airplanes over the head with loudspeakers and dropping pieces of paper. I mean planning churches, missionaries going to every unreached people group on this planet. I mean forms of evangelism. Can I tell you, friends, the end may be closer than we think. And it's not just about the Antichrist or the boogeyman. It's about the gospel of Christ going to the whole world. Come on, give the Lord a big hand. Let me give you a last scripture and then we're going to pray. Back to Matthew chapter 24. And, and here's the question. Now, up to this point, you might have thought, well, that's pretty interesting. I wondered about that camping guy. But let me ask you this question. If he came back today, would you be ready? Now, I hope you're going to get to have a great summer vacation this year. I hope you're going to go somewhere on Memorial Day. When it's vacation time, one of the first things you're going to do is you're going to get a suitcase and you're going to pack it up. And you're going to get your toothbrush and your clothes and your bathing suit and your jammies and whatever you're going to get. And you're going to get it loaded up in the car because you're ready to go somewhere. Now I want to ask you this question, heart to heart and honest as I can today. Are you ready? If Christ came back today, are you fearful? Are you confused? Are you uncertain? We're going to help you this morning. Let me read this, what Jesus said. Verse 37, when, not if, when the Son of Man returns to the earth... It's going to be like it was in Noah's day. Now, in Noah's day, here you've got this guy. He's a preacher. He's a righteous man. He builds this huge ship. Takes him about 100 years. But while he's building, he's going to Home Depot, and he's telling people about God. He's telling people about faith. He's telling people to believe. He goes to Lowe's. He goes to Walmart. You know what I'm saying? He goes to the lumber company, and he brings it back. But he's talking to people about believing in God. There's only one way to be saved. And this ark is a picture of Jesus Christ. And as we come on this ark, listen to what happens. Verse 38, in those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets, parties, weddings, right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen, can you say it with me, until, until the flood came and swept them away. Can I say this? It was too late. There are people who believe, well, when all that stuff starts happening, when I see all this happening, that's when I'll begin to be follower of Christ. Uh-uh. It will be too late. Now is the accepted time. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So Jesus said, just like Noah's day, it's going to be happening the same way today. 
whoever Lady Gaga of their day was, whatever they were smoking back then, you know, whatever they were doing, it's going to be the same thing. Verse 40, two men working in the field, one taken, the other left. Two women, 41, grinding flour at the mill, one taken, the other left. Now, mind you, this was written 2,000 years ago. Today it would say, two people standing in line at Walmart, one taken, one left. Two people in the stands, parents, grandparents, watching their kids play ball, one taken, one left. Two people sitting at a restaurant, going to Outback, one taken, one left. Two people sitting in a college class, working on a graduate degree, one taken, one left. Two people coming to church, one taken, one left. How I many of coming to church doesn't make you a Christian? What makes you a Christian is that you have truly believed in Christ and surrendered your life to Him. And listen, turn to follow Him. Some people live under the illusion that if I just have Bible facts in my mind, that's enough. It's not true. See, there's got to be a change when we surrender to follow Christ. The Bible goes on to say, verse 43, understand this. I'm sorry, verse 42. So you too must keep watch. That is, be alert, be ready, be expectant. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he'd keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. Look at verse 44. You must also be what? Ready what? All the time. You must be ready all the time because the Son of Man is coming on a time when you least expect it. Which tells me the sad thing is most people will not be ready. Most people will be going about life, going about business, just living life. They may not be bad, evil people. They're just caught up in things in this life. I'm going to close and then we're going to have a time for prayer. Because I hope everybody will be ready in this place. There's two words in that passage I want you to think about. The word watch and the word ready. This word watch, it means to be alert, to be looking. Tell a little story. A couple days ago, I was with Bethany, and she's home for the summer, and her car was real dirty, and she was saying, I need to wash my car. So I had this dad idea. It was Thursday night. I'll just wash her car while she's at the, at the Connection Church service. So I go to the little uh, car wash right over here on Summer Hill, you know, a little spray deal, and it's dark. And about a year ago, someone was killed at the car wash on College Drive. Come on, remember, a dentist never found out who did it, just washing his car. So it's dark out there, and I'm watching the people walking by, and I'm thinking, I'm going to vacuum a little bit, and I'm going to look. <laughs> and I'm vacuuming, and this guy starts walking, not in front of the car, going down the walk, but he starts coming towards me. I put the vacuum down. He said, don't shoot me. I said, okay, don't worry. Comes a little bit closer. He said, I, I need a little money. I'm, I, I, you know, I need to buy some cigarettes. And he gets about as close as from you to I. And I'm watching him. I'm particularly watching his left hand because it's at his side and kind of behind his leg just a little bit. I've already figured out what I'm going to do if, there's a wrong, if he's got a gun or a knife. I'm watching. I'm alert. Or you can turn your back on it. The same thing spiritually. So what do you mean, preacher? Here's how I get up in the morning. I get up and I say, Lord, good morning. I give you my life another day. I want to walk with you. I want to live with you. I want to serve you. If today's the day, let me be ready. So I start my day aware of God. And when I go to bed at night, I do this religiously. Thanks, Lord, for the day. Watch over me as I sleep. My life is yours.
Let me tell you just a couple thoughts about how you can be ready for the day of Christ's coming. Because would you agree with me, there's nothing else more important than this? Nothing. Here's the first thing. You need to be a true believer in Christ and following Him. A believer, that you believe that Christ literally died for your sins, rose from the grave, that you believe the teaching of the Bible. But hear me on this, it's not just in your head, you've turned your life to follow Him. That you didn't just keep going the same way in life, but you turned to follow Him. If you try to live every day following Christ, my friend, you'll be ready. If you will do this second thing, try to put God first in everything. See, some people, if you just remember God on Sunday morning, can I be honest with you as your friend? You're not ready. If you don't even think about God during the week to pray or read your Bible, not when there's a problem, but just about life, you may not be ready. But if you will try to live a life of putting Him first. And then if you will be careful about a couple things. Don't let the world distract you and pull you away into things that really don't matter. How many know, do you know people maybe that are consumed by their jobs and their jobs take all their time, all their energy, and they just... They don't have any time for anything else because they're out there working, making money, and that's what, that's what gives them success. You can be distracted by a hobby. I mean, no hobbies are not bad, but if it consumes you, it becomes an idol. If you'll be careful of being distracted by things, and listen to this one, if you will be careful not to let sin pull you and tangle you up, you'll be ready. There won't be a question about, am I ready when Christ comes? If you will try to live in such a way to follow Christ every day, if you will try to put Him first in your life. And if you'll be careful not to be pulled off the track. Now, I didn't say you need to be perfect, because we're not. But even when I fall down, I say, God, would you forgive me and give me another chance? He said, happy to do it. Glad you got back up. A righteous man falls seven times, but rises once again. I'm glad you even deal with your sin in a way that draws you closer to me. Because I'm telling you, friends, you and I need to be ready. Harold Camping made a mistake when he predicted the day, but he was right on when he told the world, Jesus Christ is coming to this planet again. He was right on when he said, there's going to be a rapture of the believers. He was right on when he said, there's going to be a judgment day that's going to affect the whole world. So my question to you here today, are you ready? Let me ask you that question first. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I'm 100% sure. I'm not worried about it. I'm ready if Christ were to come today. Let me see your hand real high. I'm ready. Look around you. I'm ready. Praise the Lord. Now listen, I want to speak to the last two minutes here, you that weren't able to raise your hand. That doesn't mean you're bad. It means you're honest. Because I've had times in my life to where I wasn't ready. See, I might have been forced to go to church, but in my heart I didn't love God. Something happened in my life, August 15th, 1976, 34 years ago. The time of my life where I was feeling drawn to God. I knew I needed God in my life and I didn't have Him. And I couldn't really put words into it, but something inside was just kind of drawing me to God. And a Gideon gave me a Bible and he told me that Jesus Christ could change my life. If I would come to Christ for forgiveness and be willing to follow Him, He said, Jesus will turn you around and He'll give you what you're searching for. He'll give you peace, He'll give you purpose in your life, but you've got to have the courage to trust in Him and follow Him. And I did. I said, Lord, I want you to come in my life. I need forgiveness, but I, I want to live the life that you've created me to live. And I wonder if you're here today and you say, man, that's me. I hadn't found happiness and peace in the things of this world, but I believe in Christ. I want to put my trust in Christ today. I want to make sure my sins are forgiven. I want to make sure I'm ready. 
I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning and you'd like to commit your life to Christ and get right with God, I want you to lift your hand real quick because we want to pray for you. Come on, do it quickly this morning. I want to get right with God. God bless you. God bless you. One, two, give him a hand. Two in the back there. God bless you. God bless you too, buddy. Somebody else. Let me see your hand. God bless you. I want to get right with God today. Others, let me see this morning. I want to get right with God. I'm not sure. I want to talk to somebody this morning. Come on, someone else this morning. I want to get right with God. You're not joining a church now. We're just taking a chance to talk about the most important thing in life, your relationship with God and being ready. Somebody else this morning, I want to get right with Christ today. Well, praise the Lord. Listen, here's what we're going to do, how we're going to close. We have a prayer team, and they're going to come up. And when they come up, I ask you that lifted your hands, or you that just want to talk to somebody. And I fully understand being skeptical. You may not know me. You may not know this church. But let me tell you this. We don't want anything from you. We just want to help you. We just want to help you. But when our prayer team comes, we're going to have prayer for whatever this morning. If you've got some real problems and needs in your life, if you've got some real struggles and you need God to help you, listen, somebody will stand in prayer for you. You may have to, a big doctor's appointment this week. Or maybe your spouse or kids are in trouble. Whatever it is, let me know prayer is a good thing. And if you want to seal this message with prayer, we're going to pray for you this morning. And after that, we're going to go and get some barbecue and have fun and hang out together. But right now, we're going to give people a chance to touch God. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet with me? We're going to sing a worship song through one time. Our prayer team is coming. And I want all you that lifted your hands to come up. Let us pray for you. Give them one more big hand. You that lifted your hand, come on. Let us pray for you. Come on up. Let us pray for you today. Let us pray for you as you make this step to Christ. Others that are here today, I need to get right with God today. You come and let us pray. And if you want prayer for anything, just come on up. Let's believe God, that the God we worship this morning and read from His Word, that He can help you. Come on up, let us pray for you this morning. Come on, let's sing it together one time through.